Welcome to Texans Unfiltered. And here we go, here we go! A Houston football podcast for your Houston Texans. Alright guys, welcome back to another edition of Texans Unfiltered. Um, this is going to be your second episode this week as I was lucky enough to be able to grab time with Rivers McCown, who I love, uh, you guys love every time he's on. You guys always have the most comments about Rivers' opinions and thoughts and uh, he's probably one of the smartest football guys out there. He does writing for God, you name it, and he's probably wrote, wrote for him. Uh, but Rivers... Friend of the podcast, thank you for for coming on yet again. I didn't see the Joker in theaters, and I don't apologize. What? Wait a minute. Okay, now this is a whole. <laughs> this I didn't expect us to go here this early. You you haven't seen the Joker yet? No, no. Are you going to? Probably not. Is there a particular reason? Not really, no. Just, <laughs> just you know, once I've once I've watched all the film for a week, uh, I don't even want to watch TV. <laughs> like, there's nothing I want to do after I finish uh, breaking down everything for a week in in season. But lay down and, and read books. Okay. All right. Well, I bet you've had time to play some video games, though. You're wrong. I haven't. <laughs> really? Really? Wow. Uh, where Where is Rivers McCown? I need to speak to him, please. Because whoever this person is on the other side of this computer is not him. Um, all right. So Rivers, obviously, you know, week five ended. Um, it ended in, you know, great fashion. Uh, Deshaun's cleats are off to Canton again. The offense looked like, you know, what I think probably you and I believe the team should look like based on the – talent of the roster uh but it isn't what we've seen from the team throughout you know through weeks one through four um what have been your impressions so far of the texans the best part and and i guess we need to probably you know let people know this like yes you're a writer for for all sorts of football publications but at the end of the day you're a houstonian and you're also a fan of the houston texans and i think people don't realize how tough that can be as a writer for football. I would imagine that has to be like one of the toughest parts of your job is wrestling fandom while also wrestling the journalistic approach. Well, I mean, it used to be that way. Yeah. I think I really have been better at embracing my fandom this year. So I'm not quite as bothered by uh, whatever's going on with that. And pardon me. It, It doesn't really bother me when people, you know, call me biased or whatever anymore. I've seen, I've seen, I've been through that dance plenty of times. Um, it's actually funny Funny that the Falcons would be the team that the Texans stomped because uh, way back in the day, my first real interaction with being with getting that kind of like bias thing, the, the bias tag, uh, was just uh, some Falcons message board calling me an internet gay. <laughs> so uh, it was kind of Jeez. fun to just, to just think about that and then, you know, watch Deshaun Watson destroy them. Yeah, and he did. He did just that. So, uh, so I guess let's take away the Atlanta game for now, and and we can talk about that here in a little bit. But let's let's talk a little bit about kind of your impressions of the team week one through four. So, and I guess let's go week by week. So, we open up against the Saints. Honestly, I thought that the Texans hung in there better than I was expecting entering the game. Um, I thought the offense was pretty sharp. I, I definitely would have liked to see more things, but uh, you know, we lose on a field goal because. Well, you can blame Aaron Colvin, I guess. I'd rather blame Rack, but that's, you know, we can get into that, I guess, too. But, you know, week one against the Saints, you know, coming out of that game, what was your impressions? And then did your expectations change at all for the season after that game? Not really. I mean, I, I feel like we we both knew coming in that that would be a game where offense would reign. And, and I didn't think the Saints had a kind of defense that would stop anybody uh, too key. Um, you know, if you have a, bad, a, a worse quarterback like Jameis Winston, I think the Saints can do some things to really confuse you. But uh, outside of that, like, like Watson's Watson's too good, too talented to get fooled by a lot of the stuff that they run. And so, I mean, I wouldn't say I was I was like shocked that the Texans lost that game when how 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 they did because I've seen that kind of scenario happened before, but it's just such a gut punch every time you see 
Watson lead a comeback drive and then it just goes nowhere because Rack gets his pants pulled down. Yeah. And, and it's something that, you know, I was, uh, I was on another show uh, a week ago and the question asked was, do we think that the game is past Rack? And I, my, my answer was, I don't think the game is past Rack because I, I just, he's been in it too long to say that the game has passed him. I think it's more or less one, he's not utilizing his players uh, and their strengths that they have. And then two, I, I don't, I hate to be the guy that like questions his heart or how much somebody is into their position. But I just wonder like as old as he is now, like, is he really all about putting everything he can into being the defensive coordinator for the Houston Texans? So, okay. That, that's an interesting point and something that I've been talking with people about a lot this year. Um, I think that as we have, I, I don't want to like say it's it's all the internet era or something because we've had the internet for a long time. But I think the way that we think about football spreads a lot faster today. And my belief is that coaches tend to have a shorter shelf life these days. It's just kind of how things are. Uh, they get stuck in their ways. They get stuck in a world where they don't have enough time to really reevaluate those ways. And, you know, even I would say, like, uh, to take a college example, uh, Jim Harbaugh, 2012, you know, one of the most innovative coaches out there doing a lot of uh, important and interesting things. Uh, today, Michigan has no offense, really. They don't really, you know, everything they've done was done seven years ago and it's kind of passed them by. So as far as Rack, uh, you know, actually, you know, losing his losing his fastball, I mean, I, I think if you don't put in the work to really learn what's happening every year, then you are going to lose your fastball. And I think it's pretty rare that coaches in that environment can keep it. Well, that's fair. No, that's fair. I, I, I guess I haven't really thought about it that way. Um, but like when you look back at like when Vrabel took over the defense uh, and became defensive coordinator, you know, I, I think of other teams and I think, okay. Most defensive coordinators wouldn't feel comfortable just stepping back and letting another young guy come in and take, you know, the DC spot. Now, I'm sure it was all a ploy for him to be able to get, you know, head coaching opportunities and things like that, as I'm sure that was a blemish on his record when he interviewed with the Niners and other stuff like that. But, um, you know, in, in the in the professional world, it's not often you see another person willing to kind of set aside, step aside and let another person kind of come in. And that, that's kind of what's in the back of my mind is wondering really you know, how much is Rack really invested in doing this? Um, you know, we haven't seen a lot of the things that we saw. Like if we go back to the Brock Osweiler, you know, I don't want to say era, uh, year. Um, thank God it wasn't an era. Um, it felt like You know, when era. we played the – It felt – that's very fair. It definitely felt like an era. If you include his sound bites and everything else, it's just way worse. But um, when you go back to the playoff run and you look at what he did defensively against the Patriots – he got very creative, did a lot of different things. I, I think that's the last time we've truly seen creativity on this defense. Is that fair? I wouldn't say entirely fair because I think Rack still brings the heat on third downs from time to time. I think he's got some creative wood schemes. But but yeah, I think generally, coverage-wise, this, this team is pretty stagnant. And I'm also not entirely sure you can blame Rack for that because I don't think this team has really invested in coverage players on a long time. Uh, you know, we've got Justin Reed with a third round pick. We've got uh, Gibson for, you know, whatever it was, like mid-level money, basically. Uh, and other than that, it's just, well, Jonathan Joseph is here still. Um, Gerald spent a second round pick on a guy who has a lot of physical talent but hasn't really shown a lot of NFL readiness. Yeah, that'll work out. And, you know, it's just – it's all kind of stopgap kind of guys. Uh, it's not. It's not anybody you really want to invest in. So, I think that uh, Rack has been coordinating with his hands tied behind his back for the last two years, and uh, it's 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 pretty much a feast or famine sort of thing based on how much the pass rush comes through. Yeah. No, that's 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 probably fair. Um, okay, so week one happens. Deshaun's amazing. Defense is average. I mean, you held the Saints, you know, to uh, what it ended up being, like 28 points or, you know, whatever it was, 30 maybe. Um, you, you would typically call that a win uh, when you're playing the Saints and Drew Brees. Then we go to week two, 
and the uh, offense is just abysmal. Uh, can't do anything against Jacksonville. Uh, Deshaun just looked completely confused. Uh, and then, you know, the defense, even though they came up with the win by stopping Leonard Fournette on that two-point conversion, I, I don't think anybody could say that that defensive performance was dominant. Um, so, we're, you know, we then we go from week two to week three and we go to L.A., which is playing in a soccer stadium. We had more home field there than the Chargers. And we beat the Chargers, who have shown that they're actually a very bad team this year for some reason. Then we have Carolina come in, and the team just basically doesn't show up at all. Well, I say that. Merck showed up. Uh, the rest of the team didn't show up. Offense specifically didn't show up, and we lose to Kyle Allen, who I think is you know an okay quarterback. Um, and then this week, we just destroy. So it's like, I guess my question for you, Rivers, is, what team should we expect to see week to week? And I think that's the question that most Texans fans have is what should we expect? How can we expect it? And what will it look like? That's, that's a, that's a deep philosophical question right there, man. That's, that's getting way into Bill O'Brien's head. Um, I guess I would say that what I expect every week is uh, looking at the matchups Um is coverage passive? If coverage is passive, I feel like the Texans usually do better. Um, this week, of course, uh, Will Fuller was able to kind of dominate uh, Isaiah Oliver all over the field, so it didn't really matter too much. But uh, generally speaking, I think Deshaun Watson plays better against passive defenses, like uh, like you saw against the Los Angeles Chargers, where they barely blitzed at all. Uh, Falcons also didn't really bring a lot of blitz either. Uh, the other thing I look at uh, defensively is. Um, just kind of, you know, the offensive line versus our, our, our front four. And this year, I think you can actually say, uh, to, to clarify, I think Merciless has played, uh, has played up only because DJ Reader has been wrecking fools left and right. And I think that, that matchup in particular is, is pretty important. Um, as you saw in week one, um, you know, the Saints were able to kind of limit the Texans because – they have uh, they had a, a number of good players in the middle of the field, and Drew Brees has always been a really good quarterback throwing throwing up the middle. So, those are the two things I look at the most when I'm looking at these matchups. And uh, you know, sometimes it kind of works out in our favor. I think with Atlanta, it was it was very much in our favor because uh, I don't think they have a, a real presence outside of uh, Grady Jarrett in the pass rush, and uh, they don't really send a lot. <laughs> uh, they play passive coverage, uh, and uh, that line has been banged up all year, and I think that really showed through uh, on Sunday. Now, I think that it's fair to say that we are, you know, God, how do I say this with like out? Um, so the offensive line has been better. I think the offensive line has been a lot better. Uh, I think the shock right now, based on just alone the Falcons game, is that. Nick Martin has actually turned into a much better center than what we've seen. You and I, when when we had the off-season podcast and we talked about free agents that we wanted to come in, uh, our, our top two were centers because we didn't believe that Nick Martin is the future. Um, what have you seen from Nick Martin since he inked his deal? Is Are my eyes playing a trick on me, or is he actually playing that much better? I mean, he's definitely been better. I think people get a lot ahead of themselves because I think there is a strong inclination within the fan base right now to want to perceive that the offensive line is getting better. So they project that out there. Uh, Martin has messed up a number of snaps this year. Um, he has, he still has pow- problems with power. I don't think they've really faced a lot of power rushers in the middle yet, but uh, I do think he has played a lot better, especially uh, as kind of dealing with uh, late pressure, uh, helping out in, situations where you know it's five on four and he's he's the guy who who's looping around so i would say that he's definitely performed better uh from a scouting perspective i wouldn't be like boosting him up i wouldn't be like oh man this guy's a top 10 center now uh but i definitely think we've seen better play from him this year oh that was me i was on mute and i was talking the entire time um he's definitely (laughs) top five center (laughs) Um, and did that deal shock you at all? Because it didn't shock me one bit. I think we all, I I think anybody that is plugged in 
knew he was going to get an extension. I think the amount he got paid was shocking. Is that fair? I, I have waived my ability to be sorry about that. I have waived my ability to be shocked in any way, shape, or form by any trans- transactions coming out of Bill O'Brien, general manager. Thanks. <laughs> William O'Brien, the general manager. Okay. Um, all right. So that's Nick Martin. Um, also, and we're going to have to get into this Connie thing at some point, and I think both of us will be extremely pissed talking about it, but I just really want to talk to you about it. Uh, you weren't a fan also of the Lermy Tunsil trade, correct? Right. I, I considered the Lermy Tunsil trade uh, an overpay by, by a lot, and uh, it's one of those things where I know that nobody's thinking about it this year, and that's fine. I totally understand that. I know that no fan base wants to look at look at like rational long-term planning when they've been desperate for a team that has a chance to win for so long and they think they're on the cusp. So I totally get it. But it was a massive overpay, and I think the Texans will live to regret it someday. Wow. Okay, so they'll live to regret it. Is it more or less because of the fact that we have the next two years without a first round pick and we're looking at the depth and the team in general and what their needs are going to be or what they currently are um, and not being able to address those. Or is it that you just didn't think that the talent was worth two first round picks? Like, I guess specifically what about it is more frustrating for you? I mean, let me put, I guess the way I would, I would describe Tunsil is I think he is um, a top five offensive lineman if we only think about athleticism. I think he's really, really talented. Uh, He doesn't always play up to that talent. And I think Bill O'Brien era Texans have had a tendency to, you know, lock in on players like this where they are uh, physically talented first and, and, you know, I'll coach him up the rest of the way. So with Tunsil specifically, I think he had probably his best game in the season, week five, but week one you saw some technique problems. Um, He's had some false start problems. I think he's got four on the year already. Um, week two, week three, he was kind of up and down at times. So I, I think he's a – look, obviously a big move up for that offensive line. Um, at the same time, it you know puts Titus Howard in a spot where he won't have to struggle uh, entirely this season. It probably puts Max Sharping in a spot that's better for him long term. So I, I get that reasoning. But at the same time, the the trade that the reason I think they will regret this trade is because attrition comes big time in the NFL for you every season, and the Texans have basically locked in on you know six players as their you know star core, and if those players combust at any point, they are screwed. Yeah. Okay. No fair. Um, so speaking of Max Sharping and Titus Howard, uh, we haven't talked um, since the draft. Um, and I know that you weren't a huge fan of the Titus Howard pick. Where are you at now with the Titus Howard pick? I mean, he's looked, he's looked pretty good. He's definitely better than any other option that we had at right tackle. Um, where are you with Titus Howard as of right now? I mean, I, th- I still think it was an overdraft, but I, I think sliding him into right tackle is a much better use of his talents long-term. I don't think he was going to hold up at left. Um, I guess where I'm where I'm at is I'm kind of hopeful that he kind of develops into the Derek Newton kind of player. You know, Newton had that same kind of uh, power speed combination. Um, where Howard, I think, needs a lot of work right now is both uh, hand play of pass rush, and then also getting up to the second level. There have been times this year where I think he's gotten lost. So uh, that's kind of what I'm looking for for a step forward from him. But I think definitely uh, putting him in a role that would be more NFL ready for him and helped a lot. Okay. And then as far as Max Sharping, um, I mean, he's looking actually pretty good at at left tackle. Obviously he's had a bunch of false starts and things like that, but um, he's definitely a very strong guy, big guy. Uh, If you look at the offensive line as a whole, if Nick Martin continues to trend upward, Titus Howard continues to trend upward and Max Sharping continues to go in that direction as well. We know what Fulton is. He's a solid right guard, um, and it's he's relatively young. I think he's 26. Do you think that we have the offensive line in place now to, as a fan base to feel better moving forward, or do you still see that there's some concerns with the offensive line? We'll get to Deshaun and, and, and picking up blitzes and reading defenses after this. 
but just the offensive line as a, as a whole, do you feel more comfortable now than you did prior to the season starting? Well, they better have solved it because they haven't got no picks to, cha- to change it otherwise anymore. <laughs> uh, I, I guess, yeah. I, I guess uh, I'm, I'm further down on both Martin and Fulton than you are. And that's, you know, it, it's debatable. Offensive line play is not like uh, there's, there's, there's no like perfect staff for that. Um, I do think that uh, long-term that is the line. Uh, maybe Roderick Johnson gets in there, right tackle, and, and Howard moves inside at some point uh that's still kind of on the table for me but uh yeah i mean this is definitely the best line texas have had with uh watson and probably the best line they've had since Dwayne brown got traded uh you know even that even that uh interregnum year 2017 where uh you know tom savage was out there they were still throwing out like bruno giacomini or, or whatever and uh, oh. <laughs> jeff allen and so yeah they definitely done a lot better job of supplying athletes this year yeah. Okay. So let's get to Deshaun. Um, we all love him. He's a hell of a quarterback, but he does have flaws. Um, and the biggest flaw that Deshaun has, well, I think there's two. Um, and obviously, and we, we messaged about it a little bit last week. Um, one is just picking up the blitz and being able to read a defense. Um, he's definitely struggling. You know, I've been reminded multiple times that he's only 24, that that's going to come with time and experience and things like that. But I felt like at the end of last season, that was really the biggest flaw in his game was just not being able to do that. And so I I expected to see him be better this year. Uh, I didn't expect him to be perfect, but I expected him to be better. And through the first four weeks, even week five, because there really wasn't. And like you said, Atlanta didn't send a ton of blitzes. I think there was like I forgot what the stat was, but I think they rushed for 86 percent of the time on the defensive snaps. Um, What? How, one, how does Deshaun get better at that? Is he is it something he can get better at and you believe he will get better at? And two, you know, just this upcoming matchup against the Chiefs, um, they're in a position where we should be able to beat them. We have the team to beat them. But when you watch them play Indy, they were sending blitzes left and right. Um, so, like, what are your thoughts on Deshaun in that specific area? In the specific area of picking up blitzes? Yes. Um, I believe that Deshaun is underrated in that skill set right now because um, what what I think happens is I think Bill O'Brien gets very stuck in in these long, long routes. Uh, He gets very caught up. And I've written about this before. I think this was like a post week two thing that I did for uh, for, uh, Deshaun. Yeah, the the long developing routes. Yeah, this is on uh, riversmccowan.com slash plug. Um, Yeah, but but uh, you can I always think, plug here. Always, I, I believe that uh, Deshaun's sort of underrated in that area because I think that there have been times where Bill O'Brien's schemes do not really give him suitable options, and I say that, and I'm thinking back even to you know the you know last season when the Jets and the Eagles were teeing off with the cornerback blitzes and the Colts too, and I think a lot of a lot of hot routes that O'Brien builds into these route to, to these route combinations have been outside and that's not one of Watson's strengths and uh you know when when your hot route on second and 10 is Ryan Griffin or uh who's who's someone somewhere this year Carlos Hyde heading out heading out of heading out of the backfield uh doing going on a little flat route there with you know two guys closing out on him on second and 10 well that's a win for the defense every time uh, and I mean, if I, I'm surprised that the Texans haven't seen more blitzes because it kind of shows that uh, people uh, people in the league do not really spend a lot of time uh, advanced scouting. Because I mean, when 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 that kind of route combination comes up, uh, if I were a defensive coordinator, you know, I'm going back to that over and over and over again. You will stop this until uh, until they actually you know beat me with that. I'm going to keep calling it. No, it makes sense. It makes sense. Um... I just I think of one place specifically when when I think about him picking up blitzes and it's the end of the Carolina game with that Eric Reed uh, blitz uh, sack fumble. Um, he looked right at Eric Reed. Uh, there was no adjustment made, and he I mean it's like as soon as he looked at Eric Reed, he decided to snap the ball. Um, and you study film way more than I do, and actually, and you know football more than I do because this is what you do. 
But to me, to the average fan, um, or maybe just a little above average, I would think that that would be the the time where you slide the protection, um, or you you know have the running back move to the right side, whatever it would be, or you know shift to the tight end over. You know, there's things that you can do in that play specifically. What? Why didn't Watson do anything, and what should he have done? So actually, uh, if I can, I want to back this up to uh, the series before. Uh, was uh, th- okay. they dialed in on third and long? Um, Watson actually uh, didn't have much pressure on this play, but uh, he he went long to uh, I think it was uh, Duke Johnson out the backfield. Uh, Shaq Thompson was right in his hip pocket, and that I saw that play and I was like, he is tilting. And I think this is something that young quarterbacks, uh, you know, I think I think they get into funks like that when they're when they see over and over again a, a series, a play doesn't really work. And I, I think most of what happened on, on that Reed Blitz fumble uh, is kind of about Sean Watson's emotional maturity in the face of, uh, you know, failure. He's not really used to that. <laughs> He's not used to failing. He's not used to, I mean, even I think a lot of the sacks that he takes comes down to uh, experience uh, with being able to do something in college that he can't do in the NFL. So, I mean, a lot, a lot of, uh, a lot of what Watson does is that is special is something that is, uh, how can I say like, uh, intuition, like, like it's not something that, uh, you could teach. It's not something that a quarterback coach can really fix or, or translate out of. It's something that he's got to do on his own. So, I mean, when I see a play like that, I totally get why people want to bury, bury that play, use it to, to knock him down a peg. But I mean, I remember what was it last year, the uh, week three Giants game. I felt the same thing. The, the the interception he threw in that game, I thought that was a very emotional interception. And there are times when the Texans offense is struggling where I think Watson will press. And that's something he's going to have to learn to uh, let go of. Hmm. Okay. Fair. Um, all right. And then when it comes to um, – so. One of the things that I've noticed uh, specifically in the Carolina game when I was watching Deshaun um, on the All-22 on those deep throws that he missed, when you look at the second one, I think the second one was to DeAndre, um, he steps up into the pocket, and if you see, he doesn't plant his feet. uh, His mechanics were off. Um, Would you say that, like, how do I phrase this? Um, Like his internal clock, is he feeling like more pressure internally than he thinks he should? Because uh, I, I don't see him step up in the pocket a lot. We see him, you know, ev- ev- evade, you know, tackles. He'll run outside, then run back in. That, that's part of his game. We all love it. But, you know, have you seen anything from his mechanics this year that it made you think like, mm, I really thought this year that would kind of be cleaned up? I'm a big fan of quarterback mechanics when you're like scouting somebody. But uh I also think there come there comes a time when you rely on them too much. You look at them a little too deeply, and you can kind of micromanage. And I mean, you can do this with Tom Brady, man. Like you can you can look at Tom Brady's throws and be like, oh, he stepped in the in the bucket here. I don't think he should have done that. Uh, you know, I think it's it's something where <laughs> where fans get a little excited about seeing something like that, and then then you know, it's never perfect at the NFL level, really. Um, I think Baker Mayfield struggling with that a lot this year too. Um, to just use another example, um, it, it's one of those things where the mechanics matter until they don't really matter. And and with Watson in particular in in that Carolina game, the throw that I thought he was mechanically off of was uh, one where he stepped up and actually bumped into his own lineman. So he tried to throw mm. off that platform, and that was that was wildly off. Um, I think this time, I think a lot of people want to uh, pile on on two missed deep throws when you know those two missed deep throws were like twelve inches off combined or something. <laughs> so uh, yeah. I'm not I'm not really too worried about long term at all. I just think that was a uh, a game where Watson was a little bit off and let it get to him, and you know you fight again tomorrow. Okay, so uh, based on just kind of this conversation about Watson your your expectation and and I think mine too and I think a lot of Texans fans is that Sunday's performance maybe not that specific but 
Sunday's performance is what we should expect to see throughout the rest of the season and what we should come to expect from Deshaun as long as he's under center here in Houston. Uh, no, I would not say that at all, actually. <laughs> I think I think what happened okay. with Deshaun is wildly based on, on the, the talent around him. I think he definitely can't overcome everything that's put in his way and play up to that level as his peak form. I mean, I think that's definitely on the table in every game, and that's part of the reason why I would never count the Texans out in any game. But at the same time, um, I think that level of play was pretty rare. I think the level of disorganization on that defense was very high. And uh, I would say that Deshaun uh, definitely is, a, you know, a top 10 quarterback for sure. But uh, I wouldn't expect, uh, you know, looking at like last year, you know, you saw games like this before. You saw him crush the Titans on uh, – what was it, Monday Night Football? Yep. Uh, come back the next week, and it's a clunker. So I'm not I'm not getting too high, not getting too low on this game. I think it was really good to see. Uh, I don't necessarily think that uh, it means everything has changed forever and that Deshaun Watson is going to crush the league for the next 10 weeks. Well, that's perfect. So that's a perfect transition into Bill O'Brien. Um, you know, you and I have, have always said that Bill O'Brien has kind of gotten in his own way or in 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 the in their own in his own way with this offense and this team, um, whether it be play calling, scheming, whatever it would be. But Sunday, and obviously it's all based on the matchup. And Atlanta's defense isn't very good. Uh, they have a good interior pass rush with Grady Jarrett, but outside of that, they're they're not very good. Uh, Deion Jones is a spectacular linebacker, um, but those are really the two pieces on defense that are really worth mentioning. Um, do you think that? Bill O'Brien's ever going to wake up and call games the way that he did Sunday. And, and I say that in the sense that obviously it was perfect. It was the perfect matchup in, the, in, in how they played, how Atlanta played us. But do you think that Bill O'Brien is going to ever, God, cause I, I don't want to sound like I'm bashing Bill O'Brien. Cause I know me and you different, like we have different opinions on Bill. I think he has the potential to do things right and be a good coach you're over Bill O'Brien completely, but you know, based on just Sunday alone and, and the way that he called the game, do you think that we'll start to see that Bill O'Brien is seeing what works and how it's going to work and that he can put that into his offensive scheme week to week? I mean, I, and I would say this, I'm not, I'm not the preeminent Bill O'Brien hater on the internet either. Uh, there have been a lot of times when I've posted something that was critical and, you know, I've got Texans fans who are, uh, what's a good word? Fatalist. Fatalist Texans fans are like, oh, my God, the fire of now. The season's over. And, you know, they're you know, down, right, right, down, right. down one at halftime to the Falcons. <laughs> so, right, so, right. so, so, like, I get that. I get that. Uh, I get that Bill O'Brien is a, uh, a head coach that has strengths in the things that I don't necessarily see very well because I'm not in the building. Um, and you know, that does have its, have its roots. And is he, are the players going to keep fighting? Uh, is the story that he's telling them worn out yet? And I don't think it has. So to that extent, yeah, he, he has, he has a lot of good qualities as a head coach. And it's something I try to point out when I can, um, as far as specific adjustments, um, you know, a lot of what happened in that Falcons game was the Falcons decided that DeAndre Hopkins wasn't going to beat him. And they doubled him constantly. So, I mean, when you have what, what I think that was more than anything was a a matchup where all the trades, all, all the uh, all the smart picks of over the last couple of years. You know, you got Kiki Cutie, you got Will Fuller, you've got Duke Johnson, you've got Carlos Hyde, um, you've got Jordan Akins, uh, you got Darren Bell's out wide who, who is still somewhat of a threat. Like, I think. The te- what, what showed off in that, in that game was that the bottom of the roster receivers are much more talented than they were when Watson first started playing. And you had, you know, Ryan Griffin running around. And last year you had Vincent Smith going deep. And who uh, was in the playoff game, like Stephen Mitchell or somebody. <laughs> like it was, it was, it was, yep. it was really sad. Um, I think this year they've done a, a great job of raising the floor of that offense by making sure that they always have. Uh, some mismatch problems on pretty much every receiver if they want them. So, I mean, do I think that O'Brien is going to 
you know, suddenly start dealing like this every game? Uh, no, I don't, because past history has told us that he probably won't. Uh, am I hopeful? Hell yeah, I am. It's great. It's, I love to see it. Uh, uh, I'll probably replay that Falcons game, th- those highlights, like first thing after the Texans get eliminated this year and just be like so high on that and be like, what the hell went wrong? Why, why did this ever happen? Why didn't you just run this, you know, this offense every time? But uh, <laughs> you know, we'll see how it goes, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, I'm, I'm in the boat with you. Like, I think Bill O'Brien has great attributes. I think he can call a good game plan when he needs to or or has the ability to do it. I don't even want to say when he needs to because, unfortunately, when he needs to is usually when he doesn't. Um, I, I just think that I look at the Texans fans that are like, oh, my God, fire, and we're going to point the blame all the time at Bill O'Brien. Uh, he's the worst, blah, 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 and we're in week five, and it's like, geez, like, are you going to enjoy the season at all? Like is there going to be any, anything that you enjoy out of this? Like you're watching a stellar quarterback play for your team on a team that has never had one. Yes, you're, yes, you there know, is. there's so they will enjoy being right. That's the only thing they will enjoy. <laughs> it's sad though. Like I, I, I just, I couldn't imagine watching something I love as much as, as watching the Texans play and entering every, every Sunday at 12 or 1159 entering the game thinking, God, this is going to be awful. Bill O'Brien's the worst. We're going to lose the game because of Bill O'Brien. When on the opposite side of the spectrum, you have Deshaun Watson who can literally just win you games. And we've seen, I brought this up on the last podcast or two weeks ago. You know, we saw Aaron Rodgers overcome terrible play calling by Mike McCarthy for years, and they were always in contention. Um, and I think Deshaun is, maybe he's not Aaron Rodgers, but I think from a talent perspective, he has the talent to overcome bad play calling and, and still be a stellar quarterback. And I, I never want to just enter a week thinking it's over. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I, I think that that's definitely something that has changed, um, you know, having a real star quarterback. I think that changes pretty much everything in the NFL, doesn't it? So, so yeah, I, I totally get where you're coming from. At the same time, the reason I felt like excitement was so down this year before the console trade is that, People have seen this show plenty of times. You know, most coaches don't get as many opportunities as Bill O'Brien does. And he enters the season not on a short leash, but, I mean, literally as the only person in the organization who knows anything about football. Uh, Jack Easterby, the guy they brought in, that's like, you know, a moral compass. That guy doesn't know much about NFL football. Uh, They don't have a general manager. They have a cap guy. (laughs) But, But, I mean, you know, the, the way it's been expressed to me is that it's exasperating from the outside only because there is no accountability. And I think that's something that really resonates with fans having been through five years of the story with only a playoff win over Connor Cook to call their own. Right. Right. No, that's I, I, I agree 100 percent. And I agree on the accountability aspect. So I'll ask you this because this is my belief. If, if we don't if we don't make I don't want to say a deep playoff run but if we don't win our first playoff game and we don't look competent in the playoffs I do believe Cal McNair will fire Bill O'Brien I don't really I don't I don't buy into any of the other stuff about what he's given up his full control of the of the front office I really think that Cal McNair is a little different than, than Bob and I don't think that uh, you know you mentioned the leash I know that it looks like he has like uh, an extension, an extended leash. And, you know, he's not really on the hot seat or however you want to phrase it. But I just, I think that the pressure is on this organization now to win. And I think if we have another year, like we did last year in the wild card, you know, round, uh, I just, I don't think Bill O'Brien will be here. What are your thoughts? I would be, I would be stunned if Bill O'Brien was fired anytime before January, 2021. I would be stunned. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think that, uh, I think the McNair, the McNair family, uh, Cal, I guess is the main owner at this point. I think they're behind Bill O'Brien's win now edict at all costs. But at the same time, I don't think that they, uh, they're going to, you know, I think he's sold them well enough that uh, he's going to get a year for sure. He's got a full year contract anyway. So, I mean, I, 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 w- I would think that the target date for O'Brien, uh, you know, 
kicking the can down the road as it were is somewhere like 2022 uh that 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 uh postseason 2021 i think i think that's kind of where it, where cal mcnair will, will bring out the books look at the bottom line and be like well what what is this doing are, are we where we want to be yet uh until then i think you know like i said there's nobody else in that organization that has real football knowledge they're all just going along with the plan so i mean who, who, who is going to step up and be like, uh, Cal, this isn't really working. Nobody really knows. Well, so here's why. Here, here's what I think. There, there's two pieces to this. One, there's going to be a general manager. I, I truly believe that we are going to hire a general manager this offseason. Um, so that general manager might end up having a little bit more power than what we're thinking. Maybe not. Two, I think the Deshaun Watson thing is, is really the biggest factor. Um, you know, when we talked, we, you know, we've talked to Jordan Palmer a couple times. And one of the reasons why Deshaun really wanted to come to Houston was Bill O'Brien. And we saw it when, you know, the I forgot exactly for some reason it's losing my mind. But Deshaun wanted to keep Bill O'Brien around. He tweeted about it. He did all that. And I think that if things continue to turn into like what the Panthers game was and Deshaun is going through that and he's not seeing adjustments from his coach. I think. Deshaun has the ability to be able to say this isn't this isn't going to work. And I don't know if he will, but I know he has a very, very freaking smart agent. Um, and I know that if it's a problem, David will bring it up. Um, and with that being the case, I feel like that's that's kind of that's kind of why I think this year can be what I said if we don't make a run of the playoffs. Because I, I don't think Deshaun's just going to sit back and, and let this offense continue to be the Panthers or Jags or, you know, or last year against the Colts or, you know, all these other prime examples that we have of what this offense is when he believes that there's enough talent on the roster to be competitive and win. Does that make sense? I mean, yeah, I think that Deshaun Watson, the way you put it, I think that's true, that he has the keys to the organization in his pocket, so to speak. Uh, he can shut this down if he wants to. But I think that there are very high expectations for, for quarterbacks as far as, uh, you know, honoring your team, uh, not dragging them through the mud. Uh, I mean, I know that things have changed a lot over the past couple of seasons as far as players speaking out, but seeing a quarterback do it is still pretty rare. And I think specifically to Deshaun Watson, and I know this is going to, you know, tangle some panties here i think specifically a black quarterback doing it would be a really big deal i think that would be considered quite problematic by uh, a lot of established nfl hierarchy that said i could see it happening i think you're right that he could control the cards if he wants to but i just from his from his outward personality um from what i've heard from uh you know what how he feels about the city how he feels about the place I'd be very surprised if it changed that soon, that quickly. And I just think we're headed toward at least another year with O'Brien for sure. Well, I I think another reason why I say that is that Deshaun's just used to winning. And up until last year, he really hasn't faced much adversity. He's just, he's so accustomed to it. And yeah, I agree with you hundred percent. Him being a black quarterback is definitely not going to help his case whatsoever. Um, and that's kind of why I mentioned David in the sense that it could be it could be done very quietly. Um, I, I, I guarantee you, David could probably get a meeting alone with Cal. And I think if they wanted to, I think they could have the conversation th- through back channels and it not become a story. Um, but I totally agree. I get what you're saying with, with who he is. And that's typically not his mantra. But I, I don't know. Part of me just feels like the most important thing to Deshaun is winning. Um and, it, and a lot of that's just based on what we've seen in college and what we've seen here. And then also just when we hear him talk, it's it's totally different. And I think that that, in his mind, will end up being the end-all, be-all for him, for him. I'll say – let me say one more thing before we, before we change topics. Um, it's yep. – I've said, I've said that Bill O'Brien has, has many positive attributes as a head coach. One area where I think he is top-notch at is winning culture wars, winning media wars, and he's pushed at people before. I don't think that uh, Deshaun Watson's agent will want to tangle with, with Bill O'Brien in that arena because the leaks out of that are going to get ugly. 
That's fair. No, that's fair. Um, and I, you're probably right. I just I th- when I when I think of how you win in this league, you can replace a coach a lot quicker than you can replace a franchise quarterback. And you, you can replace a coach a lot quicker than you can replace a uh, star defensive end too. Oh, here we go. Perfect segue. Um, all right, let's get into it now. Um, so we trade Jadavian Clowney for two Hot Wheels and a Happy Meal toy. And we're all supposed to feel a lot better about it. And I noticed that you already listened to the Rap Sheet podcast. I listened to it this morning as well. Yep. Um, I don't think we learned. I don't think we learned anything new. Um, I think it was more of just like a stamp on what we already knew. Um, but it's a lot different when you hear it from JD than when you hear it from media reporting things, or you hear people say, you know, the people that are in Jadavian's DMs or whatever it would be. Um, I, I still I can't get over the fact that we did it, and and I, I've been given tons of shit, whether it be by followers or people on the podcast or whatever it would be on, you know, we're in week five, get over it, or we're in week six, get over it. It's, it's done. It's done. It's done. And, you know, typically I would, I would agree. Like you're right. But at the end of the day, there was no reason to get rid of him this year. Um, and him being on this defense this year makes this team better than where we are currently on defense, especially given the secondary issues. Um, you know, I said two weeks ago that, you know, the biggest problem I have with rack is the fact that he wasn't able to figure out a way to get all three pass rushers going, whether it be lining up Jadavian Clowney on the opposite side of JJ and letting Whitney rush off the edge or whatever it could be, uh, or having both Whitney and Jadavian rush off the edge and having Blackson play defensive end. tons of options. And yet we never seem to do it. And that's the most frustrating part is that we never got to see what this defense really could be with all three pass rushers going. And then you, you trade him and you handle him as if he's just some scrub. Not that he's, uh, you know, this athletic freak that has literally literally won you the playoff game against Oakland um, and your one playoff game that you've, you've won as a head coach and also is the main reason him and Merck or why you were even in the Patriots game with Brock Osweiler. Um, I, I, this is something I'll probably never get over and I'll probably still continue to hold against Bill O'Brien. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that I don't believe that he was looking towards the future when trading Jadavian Clowney. He was looking, he was going based off of his emotions and made a decision based off pure emotions. Yes, you're right. He did. <laughs> I mean, everything you said right, the, right there is, is true. And, uh, like you said, I totally understand fans that want us to move on. I get that you don't want to legislate past things, but at the end of the day, one of our jobs as, or one of my jobs as a journalist is to kind of look at, you know, what could have been or what could be, uh, you know, we're not always right, obviously, but it, it's, it's part of, you know, our job in, in, in telling the story of what happened and what happened in twenty. 18 is that this team had three really good rushers and used two of them. And if this team had kept that other good rusher for this season, suddenly you get the, the DJ reader improvement bump as well. And you've got all four of those guys as your base down, you know, wrecking crew. And I mean, that's, that, that's, that's a lineup that would do a ton of damage. And part of the reason why, I think the Texans have sort of, you know, been in and out on defense is they don't have, uh, if someone doubles Watt, they don't have a consistent way to generate TFLs anymore of Connie gone. They don't have a consistent way to generate uh, sacks and pressure. Um, they will get them, but it's not quite as guaranteed as it once was. And I'm sorry if, you know, you're out there as a fan and you're sick of hearing about it. I totally get that. But it really has changed the tone of the season, the tenor of the season, and uh, it really has pushed a lot of more pressure on this offense. Yep. No, I agree wholeheartedly. And then, you know, to touch on the piece about looking towards the future, if JD would have played, I don't buy that his his value wasn't there. I, 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 I let me rephrase. I buy that his value wasn't there right now because. There's no reason for his value to be there, given that he would be on a one-year contract. No team is going to give up 
multiple first round picks or a first and a second or whatever you guys think Jadavian Clowney is worth uh, for a, you know, a, a guaranteed one year rental and then, you know, a potential franchise after that. But then you're in a situation that we were in. Um, if he would have played this year, and this is the biggest problem I have with this, if he would have played this year, we could have franchised him next year. We could have either one worked out a long term deal where we probably should have done that because uh, I know everybody loves JJ Watt and they all think that he's going to be unworldly for the rest of his life. Um, he hasn't been unworldly this year. Um, he has had moments, but even if that wasn't the case, you could have gotten more in return and probably recouped at least some of what you gave up for Tunsil. And that's the part in my mind that lets me know that Bill O'Brien should not be the general manager because he was not looking past this year. If he was looking past this year, Jadavian Clowney would have been traded next year. Whether it was for one first or whatever it would have been, we would have gotten more production this year out of him and we would have gotten another pick back and we wouldn't be as bad off as far as draft value or draft picks go for the future. That's my biggest issue. And I love JD. <laughs> well, that that part of it too, yeah. No, no. Listen, there was nothing, there was nothing logical about that trade. Um, I think the way it went down, and this is something that I spent a lot of time digging on, actually, because it really did kind of fascinate me. I think the way this went down is that uh, it was a protracted power struggle between uh, Bill O'Brien and Brian Gain, and I think once Gain left and the constraints were off, that Bill O'Brien has had carte blanche to do what he wants. And, you know, part of that is I think that for whatever reason, including a lot of uh, incidents, you know, Jadavian Clowney came up as a Texan. Uh, he was very close to BJ Swearinger when they both came in together. And uh, Bill O'Brien saw the early behaviors there. Uh, I, don't, I don't know that that's saying a whole lot. I think that there are stories to be told that are, not mine to tell in that in that uh, scenario, but I think that Bill O'Brien uh, caught on at that point that he didn't really like Jadavian Clowney's work ethic. He didn't really like um, his kind of nature, I guess. And I think it was a very emotional decision to trade him. And I think it all came down to empowering O'Brien to believe that the the chemistry of this team, uh, kind of the the emotional flow of this team, is. Jack Easterby would would point out mattered more than the talent. Mm. Yeah, and this is going to be something that is always going to bother me. Um, but I guess whatever, um, nothing we can do about it now. Um, all right, I guess before we get out of here, because we're almost already at an hour, because that's just kind of how it goes when we talk. Um, are you shocked at all about the run game with Carlos Hyde and and, and Duke? Um, are you surprised at the production that we're getting from those two? I am definitely surprised that uh, I did not think that Carlos Hyde had this kind of boost left in him. That that's, that's my big takeaway watching all this stuff. Cause I mean, listen, we, we, we just endured. What was it? Like four years of Alfred blue, just running into somebody's back over and over again. And let me tell you, <laughs> it is amazing to watch a running back who actually can read holes opening and get through tight creases. It's amazing. And I think Hyde has shown, I mean, there have been people who have, who have talked up of Duke Johnson and been like, Oh, well, you know, he's got such a high yards per carry and uh, you know, he's, he's really shown a lot of burst. I think the Texans should use him more, but I mean, on those between the tackles runs, Hyde has been amazing this year. Uh, I'm really blown away by how good he is. And it's, it's, it's kind of one of those case studies, I think, where you get in your brain the idea that all running backs don't really matter. And, uh, and that's kind of an analytical thing that, uh, you know, you kind of devalue their contributions and whatnot. But, I mean, good running backs still have a lot to offer you. And I think Hyde has really pulled up the, the floor of this Texans offense alone just based on his reads. Yeah, I think what we're seeing is – I don't want to say a shift, but when you're looking at the good teams that are consistently winning, they're winning with, because they have an established run game. Um, and e- even though we're not all the way there, I think between the two we, we are. We have a, we have a, they're, they're a very, very good one-two. Um, my only issue with the running back or the running game now is just the fact that we're 
deciding to run Carlos Hyde outside for some reason instead of Duke Johnson outside. Um, that, that'd be my, if I had to critique anything about the run game, it would just be that one point. Um, but yeah, I mean, both of them are playing extremely well. Um, and I think listen, we're all listen, we, let, let me butt in here. We've seen a lot of flashes of Bill O'Brien uh, actually showing a lot of genius in the run game play calling. Um, I think that there, when you have Deshaun Watson, Carlos Hyde, a solid run blocking offensive line, uh, and then Kiki Cutie running, you know, jet motion or satellite motion or whatever you want him to do. Like that presents every defense in the NFL with a ton of problems. Uh, I think that gives them three NFL quality runners in space that can all miss tackles. And, and I mean, I think that right now the way the Texans are set up, there is no reason they can't have a good uh, a good run attack in every game this season. Yep. Nope. I agree 100. percent All right. Uh, before we get out of here, I want to talk about this Chiefs game. Um. You know, we've seen obviously Mahomes is hobbled um, and their defense is hurt. You know, Chris Jones won't be there. We should do a lot on the ground. I hope that we do. Um, my only concern, my concern isn't the offense this week, which is shocking. Uh, my concern is the defense. Uh, for us to be able to beat Kansas City and 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 really force Mahomes' hand, we're going to have to play a lot of man. And Rivers, we, we know that's not what we're going to see. So what are your expectations Sunday? Okay. So I, I, I have to be, I have to wait, be. Wait, wait, wait. Okay. No, before you go, I want to, I want to, I want to rephrase that a little bit. I don't, I, I don't I want to know what your personal expectations are, not your fan expectations. Cause I think we both share the same fan expectation. Do we? Hmm. I wonder if we do. Uh, yeah, I think that, all right, well, here, we'll get into it. I think that we'll drive. It'll be very similar to the Saints. Uh, something will happen on defense. We end up losing at the end of the game, and that's what happens. Um, it's definitely a conceivable outcome. I'll be honest. Um, I think this week has been probably my worst for, for work uh, since I've started this season. Uh, I've been working on this humongous ESPN piece that has consumed a lot of time that I would have spent otherwise looking at Texans film. So uh, I don't have as good of a read as I think I'll have probably on like Thursday for this. So if my opinion changes, if you see something in writing that isn't what I say here, just know right right now that uh, I haven't done all the work I want to do yet. That said, fair. Um, I think the big problem for this game is that Tyree Kilt looks like he's training toward playing. And, uh, Tyreek Hill completely changes the way that Chiefs offense runs. Uh, he dictates safety coverages. He dictates um, how much man-to-man you can actually play. Uh, so that that's that's one bullet point over my head, just being like, wait a minute. Is this really going to be that close? Because I think as much as I have a distaste of Tyreek Hill person, <laughs> uh, what he does on right, the NFL and we field, all do. What he does on an NFL field is, I mean, there are th- three or four receivers that can do that. Uh, probably like Hill, uh, Deshaun Jackson, and Will Fuller when he's healthy. Like there are not many receivers who can change the game plan like he can. So that's that's one thing where even though I've, I've run those stats for man versus zone and I actually wrote an article about the Colts winning in Kansas city last week, that's one, that's one little, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is this really, is this, you really want to play man against Tyreek Hill? Well, I don't know about that. (laughs) No, I mean, that makes sense. Obviously you're going to have to double, you know, put a safety over top, but at the same time, we've also seen him beat that coverage as well. Um, but I think when it comes to the other wide receivers, I think we're just going to have to play a combination of zone and man. Um, but you're right. If Tyreek Hill plays, it does change that offense completely. And it looks like he's going to play. Hopefully, I, honestly, I'd rather him play. I think it would give us a true understanding of where this team is, un, unlike anything else that we've seen. I think right now, I don't think anybody truly has a pulse on what this team is going to be. And I think we've learned that during this conversation. Um, but I would rather play the Chiefs at full strength and, and see where we stack up than play them how they played 
the Colts on Sunday. Oh, I think I have a good idea of what the Texans are going to be, but I don't think you're going to want to hear what that's going to be. <laughs> okay, now, Rivers, I want to know what the Texans are going to be. They're going to be exactly what they were last year. They're going to tease you. Uh, they're going to be either the third or fourth best team in the AFC. And it's all going to come down to that last drive. And Romeo Cornell is coordinating the defense. And uh, there's no real talent in the secondary. Hmm. Is there any chance at all that we get Jalen Ramsey? I don't think that we have anything that we can. My only thought is, and hear me out, is it possible that Will Fuller would be a part of that trade package? And if we did that and then another first, do you think that's enough? Man. Uh, I mean, I guess they would at least listen if you talked, if you included Fuller. But I don't think you're getting anywhere near the draft value that they can find elsewhere. And I think teams tend to overvalue draft picks because they can pick their guys from there. They don't have to deal with uh in fuller's case of course is the injuries the drops the you know the known bugaboos they all expect that that pick that they're gonna get in the first round will be someone you know totally flawless and doesn't really happen that way but that's how how they how they expect it so no i don't think that would be enough okay all right all right all right rivers Man, it's always good talking to you it's always so refreshing to just kind of talk to you about football and hear kind of your thoughts um I don't know why we don't do this often. I guess it's because you're, you're, you're really busy right now, but um, I, I appreciate you coming on. Why don't you, even though they all know where they can find you, why don't you plug yourself, let us know where they can find your writing, all that good stuff. Well, I mean, I, I did just give you like the ultimate back-to-back downer that I probably don't talk very much. <laughs> By the way, the Texans, <laughs> the Texans aren't that great, and also they will not get a cornerback. Sorry. <laughs> well, they could get a cornerback still. I wouldn't rule that out. It just won't be Jalen Ramsey. Anyway, uh, riversmccowan.com is where most of the content's going this year. Uh, Twitter.com slash riversmccowan. I post a ton of film review stuff every week. I post a lot of Texans tidbits from uh, the interviews that I find illuminating in some way. Uh, I also do a lot of writing for Football Outsiders. And uh, what else this year? I've been doing some Baltimore stuff this year because that's an interesting team. So I've been doing a a lot of freelance stuff this year. Well, let's talk a little bit about your viral moment before before you go. How, how was that experience? Okay, yeah. So, uh, and this has happened two weekends in a row now. Uh, Deshaun Watson was asking a press conference about uh, <laughs> uh, about the defense that he was seeing in Carolina, and, and uh, this was the original one. Uh, this was by uh, Aaron Reese Rice. I, I, I it's it's weird. I work yep. with the guy, but I don't know how to pronounce his name. I'm sorry, Aaron. <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> He asked him the question, and uh, I, I just took it off the internet uh, right on the their little Periscope live stream, and it blew up with tons of people retweeting it. I got up to, like, I think 5,000 retweets and, like, 19,000 likes or something. And I'm just sitting here watching this all unfold on my Twitter feed, realizing that I'm never going to have a conversation again. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that was... <laughs> That was an interesting moment in my life for sure. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. What's the worst part about going viral? Conversations that you do not give a shit about at all. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like there are still people actually replying in conversations uh, from that tweet. One of which was about setting up a Madden game between two people who nobody cares about <laughs> not even it's not even like a like a, a ranked madden tournament thing it's just two randos bragging about having kick each other's ass um the biggest one uh, definitely this this was like one comment to that tweet that got like three thousand likes was some meme about mitch trubisky not being able to do anything that watson does and every time i talk about watson now the Bears fans are fucking incredulous that that pick ever happened, <laughs> and they are not. They are they are very happy to talk about that publicly. I, I feel terrible for Mitch Trubisky's <laughs> I feel terrible for that guy's mentions because he probably wakes up every day, and it's just packed with negativity and bullshit. 
when all he's trying to do, based on what I read from the sauce season, is figure out how to use wirecutter.com to uh, properly make his home energy efficient. <laughs> oh, poor Mitch Trubisky and poor Bear fans. All right. Uh, Rivers, thank you again. Uh, I'm sure we will do this soon. Um, I really appreciate it. Love having you on. Again, guys, make sure you guys go follow Rivers McCown. Make sure you go to riversmccown.com if you want to see anything Texans related. He's definitely the best follow on Twitter. Um, oh, oh, actually, one last thing. God, I can't believe I forgot about this. Have you heard about this narrative going around? I'm not going to say who started it, but this narrative of um, the reason why Deshaun Watson doesn't play good at home is because he's he's basically uh, distracted and um, he doesn't have a curfew on Saturday night. And basically implying that he uh, he's out out in the streets. And you, you uh, any thoughts on that before before we actually end the podcast? I have no thoughts on that. However, I do wish to share one of my favorite tweets ever. I can't remember the author, so I apologize. But uh, paraphrasing basically goes: uh, Deshaun really beat Bama. And the Bears are going to pick a quarterback from UNC named Mitsubishi, number two. (laughs) And that is how we end the podcast. Uh, Rivers, again, thank you, guys. You know where to find us. You know where to follow us. Uh, It's all in the outro. Uh, We're we're big time now. So um, with that being said, we'll catch you guys next week after a Kansas City loss and a Texans win. I don't know. We'll see. Check you guys next week. Loved this episode of Texans Unfiltered? We'd love for you to be a Patreon supporter. Your support allows us to provide you with the best Texans podcast possible. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at HoustonFBPod and everywhere podcasts can be found. And join our community on www.texansunfiltered.com or on Discord at Texans Unfiltered. Thank you for listening. Until next time.